Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Billy Humphrey begins a series on the Song of Solomon, teaching on what the bridal paradigm is and how it can impact our hearts in big ways. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. So I was going to start a series on the Father Heart of God who God is as a father. And I'm kind of, for those of you that don't, are new or whatever, that's kind of a message that I'm known to preach and people really like that message. Um, But the truth of the matter is, the father heart message isn't the one that rocked my world the most. Uh, There's a, a different message that really changed my life. And it wasn't until later that I got this message about God's, God's heart as a father. And so I want to give you guys that message. I want to give you the one that I would say out of any message in my whole life, this is the one that radically transformed me and changed me out of anything. I mean, the, the most radical transformation was this message that I'm going to share with you. I'm going to take, I'm going to take six to eight weeks on this, okay? So I want you to tap in because I want to take some time and walk through this. Now, when I say what this is, some of you are going to be like, what? That message? And the answer is yes, this message. This is the one. So the new series, Encountering Jesus in the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my journey, and then I'm going to give you tonight, we're just going to go introductory. I'm going to give you eight reasons why we need to study the Song of Solomon. I'm going to give you two, two key, key, like rocked my world, life-changing truths from the Song of Solomon. But if you're a dude in here and you're like, oh, dude, we just got the women's ministry, whatever, you know, message. I am coming for you tonight, dude. I am so coming for you. All right, so let me tell you a little bit of my story, my journey. All right, so... Uh, I was in ministry um, for 13 years, full-time. I had really had gotten so much from, like, revival messages, just repentance and holiness and purity. I loved reading um, people like Leonard Ravenhill. Anybody know Leonard Ravenhill? If you want to read a book that will rock your face, read Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. It will, it will jack your jaw. Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. So I was that guy. I had gotten really touched at a massive revival called the Brownsville Revival, which I've talked about before. But like a million people went to this one local church um, within just a few years, and hundreds of thousands got born again every kind of kind of person from every kind of background. So this is like what was burning in me. And so, you know, what happens is this. You get running really hard in ministry, and if it's all fire and there's no oil, eventually your engine locks up. Eventually the wheels and the gears start grinding And I found myself after what people would say is a very successful ministry, lots of things that could point to, testimonies, all sorts of stuff, 
I found myself really in a place of kind of like burnout. And um, I, I'd been saved a long time, been in ministry a long time. And the truth of the matter is, I had never even looked like in any serious way at the book of Song of Solomon. In fact, I think the pages of my Bible were actually a little stuck together. You know when you get a new Bible and some of the, like I think that's actually true. Like my Song of Solomon pages were stuck because I never took it seriously. The only time I'd ever read it was when uh, I read through the Bible in a year kind of a thing, you know, so you had to read it and you're like, what is this? Let him kiss me, the kisses of his mouth. What the, I don't know what that, how that got in the Bible. And there's all this like real intense, well, there, there's like this intense like language and then there's like all this fruity like poetry yes. kind of stuff. And for me, that was not interesting. I, I wanted repentance. I wanted holiness. I wanted purity. I wanted the power of God. I did not want your neck is like the Tower of David. It wasn't what I was interested in. And so I get to this season where I'm, I'm basically, the, the gears of my heart are like locking up. I'm basically burned out in ministry. And that's when the Lord began to, to direct me to Song of Solomon. And I had given everything to serving the Lord. I had gone as hard as I knew to go. I had given my whole heart to serving the Lord and going hard in ministry. Yet my soul had become extremely worn out, empty, tired, weir, uh, weird, <laughs> weary, wearied, messed up. And so uh, I'll never forget it. I was going to go to this conference, and uh, the reason I was going was a buddy of mine, he said, hey, listen, uh, there's this conference in Kansas City. It's for young adults. I was a youth pastor, he, and it's exactly what he said. He goes, it looks a little sketchy, but I know you're into that kind of thing, so would you go with me? And he said, there's a bunch of good worship leaders and all this stuff. So I go to this conference. It was, it was this conference called One Thing. And, uh, and I show up, and I know a bunch of the, the worship leaders and stuff. And the, the whole conference was on intimacy with Jesus. And so they preached for three days on intimacy with Jesus, just his love for us, the way he thinks about us, his emotions, I'd never heard anybody preach a message on the emotions of God. He's preaching all these messages, and then finally, it's the fourth day of the conference, and he goes, all right, let's open up the Bible, and let's look at Song of Solomon. And when he said that, I heard myself say, yes. And it was the weirdest thing, because there was this anticipation in my heart that God was going to meet me. And that whole day, he unpacked the book of Song of Solomon, and it put me on a journey in studying Song of Solomon, and I came to find out that Bible teachers throughout the ages that had locked in, I mean, like major Bible teachers, teachers had locked into Song of Solomon. It wasn't just some book for like the women's class or for like, you know, the married couple retreat or something. It was like this book that was rich in biblical truth about the most critical idea, and that idea being, how does God think and feel about you and about me personally? 
And so here's what I realized when I was praying for us, praying for y'all. A bunch of us, our experience and our knowledge of the love of God, it, it really boils down to this. A feeling that we get in worship and a truth that we understand with our mind that we heard since we're little, Jesus loves me this, I know for the Bible tells me so. And so it's a feeling we get in worship or something we heard a long time ago that we've just sort of understood that's just the way it is, but we actually aren't living with a day-to-day revelation, a day-in and day-out revelation of God's affections for us that's working us through every trial and challenge, compelling our heart with passion and calling us into purity and holiness. And the truth of the matter is this, the love of God is the fuel that your heart was made to run on. It's, it's literally the air your soul was made to run on, God's love. And if the love of God is only con- uh, a concept for you, it's only conceptual, or it's only, in your mind, a feeling that you get when there's a good worship song, that I'm telling you there is an ocean of understanding for you that will transform your life. That season for me, I went from this guy that was like, if it, I mean, the louder it is, the harder it is, the more severe the message it is, that's the best. I thought, I used to think, guys, I used to think people that preached on the grace of God or the love of God a lot were probably weak in their faith. Like, that's where my mind was. I was that kind of intense, scary kind of a person. Dangerous, shouldn't, like dangerous to put a mic in the hand of that kind of an individual. But when this thing hit my heart, it radically, radically changed me. And I will say something else that it did for me. I had been to an annual marriage uh, retreat with my wife for about a dozen years at that time and had had annually eight weeks of teaching in addition to a marriage retreat every year, eight weeks of teaching on marriage and family. And I'm gonna tell you something. I did not understand marriage at all until God unpacked the book of Song of Solomon to me. And so this is gonna help you that want to be married sometime in life. It's gonna help you in a dramatic way, especially if you're a dude. And so here's what ended up happening for me. My heart got like refreshed in a mighty way. In fact, I got so rocked with the message of the love of God, I was literally walking around in what I would say was a partially inebriated state for about three months. I remember there was this uh, guy in our church who was at odds with me. He, he and I, just we were just butt heads all the time. And I remember I get blasted with the message of Song of Solomon. I come back from the conference and I see him, and there he is across the lobby, and it would be one of these, like, you see the guy, and you go, oh, praise God, like, oh, no, Lord, not, you know, and you're just, you're, you think you're trying to be loving because you don't want to get in a fight, but you're ignoring them, which is the exact opposite of love anyway, and so you're not, fun- you're not functioning in love, so I'm like, you know, it would be that guy, but as soon as I saw him, I come back to that conference, as soon as I saw him, my eyes locked with him, and I was like, yes, 
bro. And I walked straight up to him, and he was like, me? I was like, yes. I walked right up to this dude. I gave him a sloppy, wet kiss on the cheek. I said, dude, I love you. He goes, what happened? I go, I found out God loves me. And if he loves me, he loves you. And it transformed the way that I interacted with people, with my wife, set the foundation for me to understand ultimately God's heart as a father, which I would get some years later. But it was Song of Solomon that blasted me, all right? All right, so here's what I want to give you. I want to give you eight reasons why the Song of Solomon is critical. It's a critical study, but the first three are aimed right at the dudes. If you're a dude, say, yeah. All right. Because the first thing a guy would do is like, bro, Song of Solomon for eight weeks? What the crap? I am so, no, I, I cannot even do that. I'll just put my AirPods in when we come to church. And I want to tell you, I'm, I believe Song of Solomon, it, it has an, a, a special, I want to say it's written for the men more than the women, but there is a special arrow in the Song of Solomon for men. Like the Lord is taking aim at the men. You're a guy in here, the Lord's aiming at you with the, with the, with the message from Song of Solomon. Here's three reasons why, all right, for men. First, this is critical. I, I've, done, I've done 40 weddings at least, maybe 50. I do premarital with all, the, with all the couples. I spend hours with them. And I will look, and I've, I've counseled countless numbers of people that are dating, want to get together or whatever. I'll look him in the eye. <laughs> so many. <laughs> so many uh, reality checks over the years. Um, but I will look him in the eye, and I'll ask the guy, I'll say, hey, listen, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And they go, oh, yeah. And I go, no, you don't. There's not a chance. If you're acting like, oh, yeah, I got it, then you have no clue how much he loves you. And so then I'll say, uh, have you ever read the Song of Solomon? And they go, uh, like a one-year Bible. Like, they're me. They're, I think that's where my pages of the Bible are stuck together. I go, right, I know that guy. I go, you ever studied that? They go, uh, not really. I go, you are not fit to be married. They go, huh? How could you say that? I go, here's why. Here's, re here's reason number one. Because the instruction in Ephesians 5 to husbands is husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. If you as a man have no clue how Jesus the burning bridegroom loves you, you will never love the woman he's giving you. You'll never be able to because you do not understand. And so I look at the young lady and I look at the young man. I go, hey, there's no chance he's going to love you right. Send that guy to a Song of Solomon's Bible study and then let's talk in about four months. <laughs> All 
I mean, I'm, look, I mean, I'm coming for you. That's number one. The reason why you, this is the critical reason you study because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. If they do not know the message of Song of Solomon, they do not know the love of Jesus as the bridegroom, they will never be able to love their wife as Jesus prescribed as Christ loves the church. Amen. Ladies, I'm working for you tonight. All right, I'm working for you. Guys, I'm going to get you there. We're going to get you there. We're going to make you marriage material, for real. We're going to get you there. We're going to do this. Hey, hey, ladies, it's coming for you, though. It's coming for you. Don't, y'all are like, y'all like, oh, yeah, get those boys. Get them. No, no, we're coming. We are coming. Let me tell you why we're coming for you, because Father Heart is coming for you. Here's why. I, I, the girls all need Father Heart. Now, everybody needs father heart, everybody needs bridal paradigm, but here's why the girls have to have father heart. You gotta have father heart because here's why. If you are, so, so dude, if the girl is in rebellion to her dad, and, he's, and she's running with you, and she's in rebellion to her dad, and you think this is y'all are just gonna go and just have that love story, Cinderella ever after, whatever, Let me tell you something. In one half a second, you become her spiritual authority when you get married. And the rebellion she's been carrying in her heart because of wounds with her father are now going to be transferred to you. My wife is up here just laughing so hardcore. She's like, are you good? Yes, I am. So the ladies need father heart. The boys need bottle paradigm. Everybody needs all of it, but that's where the healing comes. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number one reason you got to study Song of Solomon is because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. If you don't know how he loves you, you'll never be able to love her. Okay? Second, I was about to launch into a whole relationship series right now. We're just going to, we'll do that. We'll do that. I'm coming for y'all for real. All right. Second, husbands are instructed in the Bible to understand, to honor, and be gentle with their wives. That's 1 Peter 3, 7. To understand, to honor, and to be gentle with their wives. The book of the Bible that gives the clearest depiction of that is the book of Song of Solomon. So for husbands to honor, understand, and be gentle with their wives, they better understand Song of Solomon. Thirdly, husbands are told, Proverbs 5, 18, to rejoice with the wife of their youth. To rejoice in the wife of their youth. Song of Solomon shows you what a husband who's rejoicing in his wife looks like. And here's the point I'm going to make. We went through a dozen marriage retreats, eight weeks a year of family and marriage teaching. And I'm telling you, it wasn't until I started to understand Song of Solomon that I knew how to love my wife. It was 10 plus years 
into our marriage before I started getting these truths. She hung with me through thick and thin. I don't know how you stayed in there, baby, but you did. Come on, girl. She loves me. 30 years later, yo, she loves me. But those first 10, they were turbulent. Because I didn't know how to love her the way Jesus said to. This is no joke. Don't tell me he's cute. He's not going to be cute in half a second. When the whole thrust of the marriage is how he can get from you what makes him feel happy. He's not going to be cute when the whole thrust of the marriage is what makes him feel happy. Most of us, we say, I love you, and what we really mean is I love how you make me feel. Another message for another time. All right. Now, five more reasons. These are, these are not gender specific, but those first three were just for the men, just to get your attention. Because look, this is, not one, this is not the message for the women's ministry. This isn't just for the girls' club. This is for believers. And men, we need this so much, so much to transform us, to, to really shift our ideas of masculinity and what it looks like to be a godly man. Amen. All right. All right, reason number four. Now, this, now I'm just shifting gears into anybody. Fourth reason why you've got you've to know Song of Solomon Chapter 1, verse 1 of Song of Solomon says it is the song of all songs. The song of all songs. What is your favorite song? Don't answer that. I will just tell you, whatever your favorite song is, it's not as good as the Song of Solomon. Because it's the song of all songs. And what we find in the book of Revelation is they sing, the saints in heaven, they sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. Did y'all know Moses was a songwriter? Did you know Isaiah was a songwriter? Did you know uh, Jeremiah was a songwriter? There's so many. Habakkuk, they were songwriters. The prophets were all songwriters. <clears throat> Solomon was a songwriter. David was a songwriter. But they're singing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. The song of the Lamb is Jesus' song. Now, he... I mean, I'm just deducing here, but I don't think that Jesus' song is in second place to Solomon's song. In other words, Solomon didn't write the best song, and then Jesus has got like a close number two. The song of all songs written by Solomon and the song of the Lamb are likely the same song. And we see the saints before the throne singing the song of Moses, which you can find, talk about the horse and rider got thrown in the sea, and the song of the Lamb. It's the greatest song that's ever been written. That's why you've got to know it. Fifth reason. It's the key book in the whole Bible that it, it gives a, a, a depiction, but it's an exploration. It's a really, really densely packed exploration of what it means to be the bride of Christ. I want to tell you something. You're on the way to a marriage. You're on the way to a wedding. 
I like, I'm fond of saying this, like, if you're not at a wedding, the story's not over. If you're not at a wedding, the story ain't over. And no matter how rocky and how difficult and how challenging things have been, if you're not in a garden with, with Jesus at a wedding, the story is still to be written for you. And so we have to understand this this component of our relationship with him. We are the bride of Christ. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Now, I know like for women, like that's, that's you know, easy. I was like, uh, yeah, I can see that. I'm a bride. Okay, cool. Dudes are like, so wait, what? It's like I put like on a, like a white dress. Like, what do you mean, bro? It's not about a white dress, and it's not about pucker up and give me a kiss on the lips, Jesus. It's about an eternal identity of love and partnership with God. And what you got to catch is this. The marriage relationship, man and woman, hear, hear me clearly. God creates man and woman, puts them in a garden, calls them together in love and intimacy. He doesn't do that and look at that and go, that's a really cool idea. I think I'll do that with the church. He does that because he is showing us, at the very beginning of all creation, he's showing us what his desire and his plan is for his relationship with humanity. He's giving us a man and a woman in a garden at the beginning of creation because where everything is going is a man and a woman in a garden. And that intimacy, that, that love relationship, that unity, that union, that is critical for you to understand. This is what you're on the way to. This is who you are to him. So catching that identity now is absolutely essential. All right, next, I think I'm at, where am I at? Six, I got them in letters in my notes, sorry. This book describes God's emotions more densely than any other book. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with. They struggle with looking at God and somehow thinking that God is unemotional. It's, it's one of the biggest pains of my heart is for many years, I thought God was basically straight-faced and just sort of looking at me in a way like, hey, just impress me. Just do something for me. Like, come on, man, perform. And I didn't realize that there is deep joy in his heart. There's deep pleasure in his heart. That he, there's deep delight inside of God. And that the object of that joy and pleasure and delight isn't what I can do for him. It's me. And coming into grips with that, it is life-altering. And here's the thing, you're hearing what I'm saying, and if the words are bouncing off you, and you're thinking, yeah, that's so-and-so, they know it, but I don't know that, this is for you. This is for you, that you can literally walk out of here, you can be transformed in the way you view God, that the whole, the whole spectrum of God's emotions can be unlocked for you, so that you realize that when you're talking to him, he's not sitting up there stoic, sort of staring you down, like, impress me, do something, come on. He's like smiling and delighted and longing. 
Do you realize he's longing for you? You realize he's jealous for you. Proverbs says this, that jealousy is a husband's fury. That when you are getting mistreated and done wrong, that it is stirring jealousy in the heart of God. And he wants to take action against everything that is in the way of love between you and him. That's God. That's who he is, and that's how he feels about you. Song of Solomon gets you in touch with his emotions greater than any other. I mean, it's so dense, greater than any other part of the Bible. It's so dense in the book of Song of Solomon. I remember I was in Kansas City, and I was studying Song of Solomon. And I mean, I was so, I was just so rocked with all the message of Song of Solomon. It was beginning to transform my marriage and, and Mary Beth and I in our relationship. And I'll never forget this. We drive, we're driving home, and just to, be, just to be quite honest, we lived in the hood. Our neighbors, I mean, they were smoking dope. You could smell it through the wall. We had a duplex. Uh, there was uh, police cars on our street constantly. The year prior, somebody was killed on our street. We, we, we didn't have any money. We, we had just live in the least expensive place we could find that was as close to the ministry we were part of. And so I remember driving up. We were pulling in to our driveway, and there were some um, kids from the neighborhood that were sitting there just in our yard, just whatever, hanging out, playing. And our windows were down. It was, it was warm out. Our windows were down. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was like spring or whatever. And this little, this child, this like nine-year-old boy, I'm feeling the fire right now. Looks in the window of my car and makes a sexual comment about my wife. Bro! I can hear it clear. Boom. Look at her. She's. I was like, what? I pull in, I go, oh, no, no, you didn't, you didn't. <laughs> pull in, Mary Beth's like, stop, what are you going to do? I go, I don't know what I'm doing. Ah! And I walk out, and the, the other two kids, there's like three kids, the other two are out there, and they, they look at me, they're like, he's over there. <laughs> and they point at the house, it's just across our cul-de-sac, so I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm about to just like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to make this kid pay somehow. I'm so agitated that a little child would say something sexual about my wife. I was like, you can, no, this is, you just does not go unpunished. So I'm, str I'm strutting across the parking lot. I'm going to do something. And uh, out of the house, out of the duplex that's over there, the door opens. I'm get about halfway across the, the cul-de-sac. The door opens, and this guy comes out. He's about six foot five, about 300. I know, he's just a big old dude. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, he's big. That's fun, but I'm mad. So I just, I walk right up to him. And I said, are you so-and-so? He goes, I, he, he goes I, yeah, he, I'm, his, I'm his guardian or whatever. 
I said, here's what he said to my wife. I said, he, he, I think he first said, you got a problem? Like, it was like, I'm about to throw down with a six foot five. I'm going to get killed. <laughs> but there was something possessing me. The fury of a jealous husband. And I looked at this guy. I go, I go where's so-and-so? He's going he's gonna to tell my wife he's sorry. He goes, oh, w- w- you know, you're going to try to do something? I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. He's going to tell, tell my wife he's sorry. He goes, well, why, like, what do you think you're going to do? I go, listen to what he said to my wife. He's going to apologize. I said, go get him. Tell him to apologize. This is what he said. And I said the phrase. He goes, okay, I'll go get him. I was like, hey, five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. Go get him. You don't say that about my wife. Right? I was probably a razor's edge from getting my face pounded. I don't know that, I mean, I wouldn't have a preacher story if I didn't, if I got pounded. (laughs) That would be the day I broke my nose and not the day that jealousy was a husband's fury. But I understood the way Jesus feels about me because I'm a lame, broken man with imperfect emotions that's weak. And he is perfect, and he is passionate, and he is fiery. And if little me would go and pick a fight with a big guy like that, what does big him do with everything that comes against us? Because he feels the, I mean, not the exact, he feels infinitely more passionate and emotional about us than I do about my wife. Song of Solomon gets you in touch with the emotions of God. It's more dense and, 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 and deeper in the book of Song of Solomon than anywhere else in Scripture. It's not that it's not in other places. It's that it's just so densely packed in these eight chapters. Here's the other thing. Okay, number seven. Y'all still with me? You're like, you almost got your face beaten. Of course, we're still with you. Can you tell us a story when you did get your face beaten? We'd love one of those. I got a couple of those too. Anyway, <laughs> for another day. Uh, number seven. Number seven. What is number seven? Let's see here. Oh. Number seven. The Song of Solomon explains all the seasons of the life of a believer. Most believers misunderstand the way God has led them and is leading them because they can't comprehend how God's working in their lives. There's, a, there's, a, there's an explanation in the, in the song. It talks about his right hand and his left hand. Okay? His left hand is behind my back, and his right hand embraces me. Okay? The right hand is the power of God moving in our lives. There's been many times in your life, if you've been saved any amount of time, when you've experienced God's power working for you. You've experienced dynamic things. You could see it. That was prayer made that happen. Something happened. God did something dynamic. It was awesome. Here's our challenge. So often, we only understand God by the power, by the right-handed activity. And he's not just moving with his right hand. He's also moving with his left hand. And the thing about his left hand is it's behind our back, which means if it's behind your back, you can't see it. 
The left-handed activity of God is as much ferocious love as the power right-handed stuff. It's as much of his love in action for you. It's just stuff that you can't see in the moment. And man, when you, be, get to, when you can zoom out, and there's so much more to the seasons that we go through, and we'll go through it as we unpack this book. But when you zoom out and you recognize there's more that he's kept me from than he's actually led me to, he's loved me ever still through all of it, then you begin to comprehend his affections for you in a whole nother way. His leadership for you. You comprehend the seasons he was silent. You comprehend the times when it was difficult. And there's all sorts of stuff in the book that identifies those seasons. But here's what happens. When we don't understand his ways, we blame him for what we don't know. And when we blame him for what we don't know, we get offended. And we, we, we actually imagine that God doesn't love us and that God doesn't care, which is the exact opposite of what the book of Song of Solomon teaches. Amen. Lastly, lastly, eight. And there's probably 800 reasons, but these are my eight. Jesus Christ is a bridegroom king. He's coming to rule and reign this planet. He's returning as a bridegroom king and a judge. That's who he's coming as. Now, the book of Song of Solomon shows him in all of those faces, all right? But here's the, here's the key. There is a generation that will be the generation that's on the earth when Jesus returns, Somebody has to get a hold of the revelation of Song of Solomon because it's going to be the actuality that they, they live when the Lord returns in their lifetime. And if you believe the return of the Lord is near, which I believe it is very near, it's far nearer now than we've ever imagined it could be. If you believe that potentially in your lifetime the Lord could return you have to understand the message of bridal love and who he is as a bridegroom God because this is your destiny to welcome Jesus, the bridegroom, to the planet. This is an identity you cannot like just sort of pass over and act like it's not for you. No, this is an identity, a part of who we are in the, as, as the bride of Christ. We have to stand clear in this identity and beckon him, welcome him back to the planet. Amen. It's not something you can afford to just like, eh, I don't know. Other people can be the bride. That's not it. No, this is your identity, and he's returning for a bride. And here's the beautiful thing, and I ask the Lord about this all the time because I look in the mirror and I see my insufficiencies and my weaknesses. But here's the beautiful thing about it. Jesus is returning for a bride that loves him as much as he loves her. He's not returning for a bride that's not like him. He's not returning for a bride that, you know, she's, she thinks he's okay, you know? I mean, no, no man, no woman is marrying a spouse that's like, they're kind of disinterested in me. They kind of go after other stuff half the time, but sometimes they really like me. Nobody's saying I do to that. And neither is Jesus. He's coming for a bride that loves him the way that she loves 
that loves him the way that he loves her. I said it. He's coming for that. This is a revelation you have to have. Amen. All right. I'm going to give you two, two truths. We're going to wrap. Side note, in these notes, I put discussion questions. So if you want to take the outline, talk about it in your T group, bat it around, get in little study groups. I put discussion questions in the outline for you. Okay, I would encourage you, grab the outline. I'll put it in the group me. Grab the outline, chop it up. All right, here's the two things that hit me. Two truths from the Song of Solomon. Give me 10 minutes on these and we'll wrap it up. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse 15. Now this is poetic language. I'm gonna work through how we understand allegories, symbolism. I'm gonna work through that in the days ahead. But I wanna give you two verses tonight and draw out two truths that I think will be meaningful to you. Chapter one, verse 15. This is what he says to her. He says, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Now he's saying that to her in a season of her life when she's literally in a crisis spiritually. She's in a wreck. She is broken and bruised and beaten. And she calls herself, she says, I'm dark. I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been burned. I've been over, overworked. And I'm disconnected from God. And I'm hurting. I've got weakness. I've got impurity in my life. And he looks right at her in that state of spiritual crisis, and he says, behold, you are beautiful, and I love you. And he says it again. You are beautiful, and I love you. But this phrase, you have doves' eyes. Doves have a really interesting vision. They don't move their eyes. They, their eyes stay fixed. He looks right at her in her state of feeling like a hypocrite and like worthless and like a loser. And he looks right through all of her dark mess. He looks right into her heart. He goes, I see who you are. You're not your failures. You're not your weaknesses. You're not everything you've done wrong and everything they've said about you. You're not your worst moment. I know what's in your heart. You've got dove's eyes. Your eyes are fixed on me. You're actually faithful. And here's how you know that you're not just a hopeless hypocrite, but you're an immature believer who's growing in desire and perfection and love. You're growing into maturity. Here's how you know, because when you sin, you don't like it. You're not trying to figure out how far can I get from Jesus and still sort of make it to heaven. You're, you're battling with lust in your flesh. You're battling with compromises. And then when you step into something, you get you know, in a mess, you go, this is horrible. What am I doing? 
And what he sees in all of our lives, what he sees is this, the sincere yes on the inside. And he says, your love is real. And that was the truth that hit me so hard. That though my love was weak, he called my love real. And you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. If an oak tree is one foot tall or 50 feet tall, is the one footer still an oak tree? Is it just as much an oak tree as the 50 footer? What's the difference? One is mature. And one is just getting going. And here is the truth that hit me so hard. Though, <laughs> though your love is immature, he sees it and calls it real. And he receives it as real. Listen, wherever you're at right now, though your love is weak, though your choices sometimes are jacked up, though the desire that's in your heart is to be all in for him, but sometimes you just, you zig when you should have zagged and you know it, but on the inside, you're, you really want to be all his. He can see past all of that mess and when everyone else looks at you and says, oh, you're a, hip, you're a hypocrite, you're this, you're that, he looks at you and he goes, your love is real. I know who you are. I see you. That changed me. It, rad it radically changed me. Because I'm, I'm so acquainted with my own insufficiencies, my own weaknesses. I, I was so acquainted with all my failures. And he's so acquainted with the yes on the inside. When he looks at you, he says, you've got dove's eyes. You've got dove's eyes. Though your love is small, your love is real. That's the truth number one. Truth number two. Song of Solomon 1.5, it is the beginning of her journey. Guys, this is the 101 of understanding the love of God. She says it this way, I am dark but lovely, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. The tents of Kedar were these, they had these animal skins that were tan dark on the outside. And she would go on to say in Song of Solomon 1, she'd say, I have kept everyone else's vineyard, but I haven't kept my own vineyard. I'm burned out and broken. The tents of Kedar, they had these, these dark tanned animal skins on the outside of them. Burned out is the idea. But she says, but like the curtains of Solomon, which would be the inner courts, the inner curtains that were, they were pure and, and silk and beautiful. And so she said, on the outside, I'm a wreck, but he's looking past that, and he calls me beautiful. And this is the point. No matter where you are in your walk with God, God sees that sincere yes, and he says, you are beautiful to me. He says, I see that your love is real, though it's immature, and you are beautiful beautiful to me. And I mean, so many times I would have this challenge in my walk 
I mean, this is 13, 14 years into ministry where if I did really well, I felt like God loved me more. And if I did really poorly, I felt like God loved me less. If I failed, I thought he, he doesn't love me as much. But if I, if I did a lot of good stuff, then I felt like he loved me a whole lot more. Listen, if your understanding and your belief in God's love for you, if it fluctuates on the basis of what you do, you do not know the love of God. You don't know the love of God. He loves you in your failure. He loves you in your mistake. He loves you exactly the same when you've chosen sin. He loves you exactly the same as the day you chose to do everything just right. His love for you is not based on your performance. His love for you is based on something else completely. It's based on who he is. He is love. And he loves you based on who he is. And he looks at you, he sees your sincere yes in spite of your poor decisions, in spite of your weaknesses, and he says, you know what? I want to tell you something. You're beautiful to me. You're beautiful to me. Your love is real, and you are beautiful to me. And man, I lived in ministry for 13 years, working my butt off. They audited my department when I was a youth pastor. I was working 75 hours a week on average. That means some of my weeks I was doing 90. And man, I'm telling you what, you live like that thinking that God is impressed with your works you know, and that he loves you based on your works, after a minute, you hit a wall. And I would hit a wall about every two years. I would just slam into the wall and just be broken. And I would go through a week or two of just like, just complete burnout. And then I'd have to like sort of scrape myself back up again and like, all right, let's go do it again. <laughs> and just get ramped up on zeal. And something shifted radically in me when I realized that in my weakness, in my darkness, in my brokenness, he still said I'm beautiful. And that my little bitty yes, he said it's real. And I want you to know that tonight, that God's looking at you and he's saying your love is real even if it's small. That little sincerity in your heart, your love is real even if it's small. And he's saying, even if you're, you know, you've been just making poor decisions, that desire on the inside that you have for him, he's saying, in your darkness, he says, I still see you as beautiful. Guys, this is, this is our portion. This is the, the diet we're meant to live on. We're not meant to live on, you got to do more, you got to try harder, you, you got to perform, and, and when you perform, you're going to get accolades. That's not it. The whole world is built on that. You're liked more, the better you perform, right? The more good grades you get, the more, you know, accolades you get. The better you can perform, the more people like you. God is not like that. 
He is not loving you based on your performance. He loves you. He sees right into your heart. He sees the sincere yes on the inside of you. He says, you are beautiful. Your love is real to me. Amen. Guys, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to unpack this book. We're going to get you men right. We're going to get you girls right. And my hope is we literally get drunk on the love of God. We just get absolutely drunk on love. How many want to get intoxicated in love? He starts the book by saying, your love is better than wine. I want to know the love of God that's better than every earthly pleasure. Come on. Are you all with me? Let's stand. Come on. All right. Help me with these lights, would you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just simple tonight. We're just going to make it simple. If you just simply say, I need to know who Jesus is as the bridegroom, the way he thinks and feels for me. I need to know that tonight. I want you to step out of where you're standing. Come on down here. I want to pray together. I need this in my life. I need this in my life. Just come. He said, I need to know who he is as a bridegroom. Just come. I want to know the way he thinks and feels. Get on a journey. Let's get on a journey into the height, the width, the depth, the length. To know the love of God that passes knowledge. To know the zeal, the passion in his heart. The way he is burning in emotions for us. So come Holy Spirit right now. Right now, Holy Spirit, move in this room. Move on our hearts. Move in the chairs. Move in the altar. We're all saying we need to know you. As a bridegroom, Jesus, take us on a journey in Song of Solomon. And even tonight, Lord, where we have been in places of brokenness and weakness and darkness, Would you just speak your love to us, that you say we are lovely, that you say you love us in spite of our broken places. Would you just speak to our hearts in that way? I'm dark but lovely. That's hard for you to believe. Maybe just even whisper it out of your mouth. Lord, I want to believe. Lord, where our love is small, we recognize it's immature. 
we thought because it's not great love. It's not sincere love. But you look right at us and you say, you've got dove's eyes. Would you just speak the truth of that right now? That though our love is small, you say our love is real. Just speak it to us. I just sense the Holy Spirit just rolling in the room right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. All over this room, Holy Spirit. Rewrite the script of our heart, Holy Spirit. Rewrite the script of our heart the way you love us. It's not subject to our emotions, our, our choices. You love us without regard to our performance. Jesus, burning bridegroom, speak your love to us right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.